Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to Northwest Prime. Bringing Seattle to the world and the world to Seattle. Follow us on Twitter at iGuestInfo. Send us your questions and we'll try to answer. Now enjoy the show. It's Monday morning, bright and early here in Seattle, and you know I'm usually on later in the afternoon, but this morning I had uh, to move the show up because I have a fantastic guest that I absolutely wanted to get on. I just called him, haven't even prepped him, and we're putting him right on the air, but this is a can-do guy, and I know that he will rise to the challenge. So my guest today is Brandon Baltley, and he is a celebrity chef, but he has a book out that will absolutely knock your socks off because it did mine. So I'm just going to bring Brandon right in. We're going to get right into this conversation. Thanks, Brandon, for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. No problem. How does a guy like you, and and we'll kind of get into that, end up writing a book? Because I kind of see you more as as the, um, a rebel against kind of uh, maybe the, the the traditional book. And this is not a traditional book by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I was approached to do it. It wasn't something that I kind of set out to do on my own or anything. Uh, I knew that if I was going to write a book that it was definitely going to be a very honest portrayal of my life and nothing was going to be sugar-coated or anything like that. So um, I think when, you know, at the beginning there were, a lot of reasons, kind of, uh, you know, monetary reasons why I wanted to do it uh, for my new restaurant and everything. But then as I got into it, I was like, man, this is this is something I could see myself doing even more of. Uh, I really started to enjoy the process. And, and by the end of the whole writing, I thought people would actually possibly get something out of it. Well, you know, definitely it's, it's raw and it's gritty, but it's really funny. And I don't know that if you intended it to be funny. I think that's just your personality that you just – you're one of those guys, and I want to tell everybody who's listening, Brandon is one of those guys that you just admire because you wish you could be like that. He just kind of tells you – he's one of those people he can kind of like tell you like it is, but you don't feel insulted. Um, and you, you can do it in just a way that's just – funny and real, and, and I, I, I feel like you're authentic. And so when people come off as authentic, you know, it's, it, it just isn't um, a drawback or a negative or, or anything like that. And this book reminds me of you're kind of like the James Dean of, of cooking, sort of, just like this bad boy rebel. You've had your ups and downs. You've seen it all, been there, done that. And you just kind of lay it all out in this really great journey. And, and I'm not through. I only have I have two more chapters to go in the book, but I'm enjoying reading it so much. Uh, that's very uh, flattering. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, yeah, I, I think that like I, I just you know I I've, I have read a lot of other chefs uh, books, memoirs. Uh, you know, TV is kind of ridiculous. There's a lot of uh, things out there that I don't think are an accurate portrayal of what the uh, industry is really like. So. I just really wanted to get that across, and 
Yeah, I didn't. I definitely didn't intend it to be funny, but there are parts that uh, when I went back and read them, I definitely uh, laughed out loud. <laughs> well, you were really right there on the on on the groundbreaking TV chef. You had worked with so many of these guys and gals, and you were really there when all of this was was just you know c- coming to the forefront and kind of just laying it itself out. And you were able to watch all that, and you were pretty young watching all that. I think unfold as well. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I mean, when I started, uh, not not when I started, after I started, really, uh, but in my early cooking years, especially in like DC and New York and things, that's when the whole Top Chef thing started going really hard, and and you had your Gordon Ramsay and Hell's Kitchens, and it was just like I, I don't know, I thought most of it was complete hogwash, and uh, it was. Uh, it was really weird to see some of these people on TV and then to go and meet them in person and work with them and just, you know, kind of uh, two completely different personalities. Oh, absolutely. Well, you got to see the real them. And one of those people was, back in your early career, you had even worked under Paula Dean. Yeah, Paula Dean. Um, she, uh, <laughs> she, she's a trip. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's some things in, in the book that I think uh, – you know, this was also very early in her career. When I worked with her, she had just gotten her TV show on the Food Network uh, when she was just, like, cooking. Um, I, I don't know if she still has the same show or not, but it, it was a while back. Um, and she had just moved into her uh, new location. I mean, we're talking about two restaurants back is when I worked with her. So, Yeah, it's – well, a lot of the things that, that you – kind of said in the book, you know, you kind of have heard those things because they they, they, they surface it. She's a little gritty, too, herself, you know, so. Oh, and, she's uh, awesome. I mean, she's, she's a southern lady to the to the T, uh, which isn't always necessarily charming. I mean, it's charming on one hand, but, you know, uh, she's definitely got some grit. Definitely, definitely. Well, you know, you have to, to to make it as far as she did. I mean, you just can't be the little sweet grandma baking cookies and, and rise to the level that, that she arose if you don't have some balls to you. Absolutely. I mean, she she does work, she did work in the kitchen. And uh, women, I think, in particular, have to uh, be a little tougher than men in the kitchen, uh, at least competitive kitchens. Mm-hmm. Well, well, let's go back to, to the beginning, and, and I want to just kind of give everybody, a, you know, just I, I really want everyone to read the book because I, I I just can't say this enough. I'm not a big book reader, but this book, I am not, I'm not even lying to you. It is so good and so entertaining, and it just captivates you, and it's it's so far off the mark of what I would normally read because um, it's, it's I, I feel like a rebel kind of reading this book. I'm like, yes, you know, I'm like championing you. I'm like, oh, I can't believe he said that. He needed to say that. He needed to do that. I'm like, I'm like cheering for you. Um, and then I feel a little naughty reading your book as well. I'm like, oh, now I'm kind of like a bad girl because I'm like carrying your book around. Like a lot of books I wouldn't even like carry out in public, but I'm like, look what I'm reading. I'm reading like Brandon Baldzi's Nine Lives, A Chef's Journey from Chaos to Control, and it's kind of making me a badass, I think. Yeah, there's uh there's some dirty parts to it. There's some uh things that uh I think would I mean they they make me blush, so I, I would assume they would make the uh, general public definitely uh blush when they read. So <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's it's funny to me because um well but let's just kinda of take everybody back to the beginning. You started working in the kitchen with your mother. Your mother had a little 
kind of a, a whistle stop cafe when when you were nine years old and can you just kind of paint that picture just a little bit for us yeah it was uh <clears throat> it was located in the riverside neighborhood of uh Jacksonville, florida which is it's predominantly uh the gay and lesbian uh neighborhood and uh there it's where all the gay bars are and and my mom is uh, a lesbian and uh she had the opportunity to kind of, there's this little hole in the wall uh kitchen when i say kitchen I'm, we're talking more of a, a home kitchen than a uh uh commercial kitchen she set up shop in it and you know it was uh she was there you know from uh early afternoon when i was getting out of school until bars closed which were 2 a.m so that's pretty much where i spent my uh life between the ages of uh nine and uh 13 were in uh the gay bars of jacksonville helping her out when i could or just kind of putting music on the jukebox uh, and playing Pac-Man in the corner, drinking uh, Shirley Temple's. Well, you had a aptitude for cooking, though, so that really stayed with you. And your mom was always telling you you needed to have something to fall back on to, you know, just in case. So you, I, I think you really learned a lot of um, how to take care of yourself in in, in that environment and, and really seeing the world not sugar-coated as well, which a lot of kids at your age have a different view of the world, but you really saw the world, I think, really for how the world is, even at such a young age. Yeah, I mean, my mom was definitely a uh, a survivalist, if you will, I mean, and, and she instilled that into me, and I think, I mean, honestly, if it wasn't for that, uh, I, I would definitely not be where I am right now, uh, given the things that I've gone through. Um, <clears throat> there are a lot of times that, you know, life definitely wasn't easy, uh, we stayed uh, numerous nights in, in cars uh, when, you know, she would get in fights with her girlfriends and things, and we'd get kicked out of houses, and we'd move a lot. I don't think we ever stayed in the same apartment in that neighborhood for longer than uh, a one-year lease. Uh, so I probably lived in maybe 10 different houses or apartments, I mean, uh, when I was, you know, between the ages of four and 10, I think, and then after that, it kind of settled in a little more. It was still rocky up until uh, I basically moved out. I left uh, for the first time when I was 14, when I got my first paying job, and then I moved back in for about a year and left again when I was uh, 17, and that's when she really settled down. She's she's in a good place now, but uh, I we were definitely transient people, and that transiency kind of stuck with me, and I think that's what kind of kept me being and living a nomadic lifestyle up until today. Mm-hmm. But you also then had a little stint in a rock and roll band as well. Right, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> Jacksonville has a, a really great uh, indie music scene. Uh, a lot of really good local bands. Not many have made it big, but they've uh, definitely made it sustainable for themselves as a career. Um, I I started playing really young, and I played in a lot of bands in Jacksonville. And then uh, when I turned 18, I joined a band, a metal band called Kailessa. Uh, I moved to Savannah, Georgia to play with them, and I toured with them for about two years. Yeah, and you were a, a drummer for them. Yeah, yeah, I played drums and uh, basically went and tried out for them, and within three months we were on tour for uh, pretty much the entire time I was with them. I think we were only, you know, in those two years in Savannah, Georgia for about a total of uh, two and a half, three months. Yeah, it's amazing because you give a, a really, again, a real truthful, in-depth um, look at what it's like to be on the road with a band as well. Um, a lot of times people just see this romance of the road, and you, you know, go into that a, a little bit and, and 
and, and share with people really what it's like to be on the road. And, and it's not all so romantic either. I mean, it, it, it's hard work. No, it's, it's definitely hard work. I mean, you got to think about it. You know, we, we're never in a place for longer than a day. So we're, we're trying to drive. You know, we, we, we play a show. We show up somewhere. We unload. We set up. We play a show. We drink until 3 a.m. We pass out. We get up the next day and do it again. A lot of these shows aren't that great because you have to bring up the road. So we'll play, you know, Denver, Colorado one night, and it's a great show for 600 people. And then to break up the drive, we'll play Cheyenne, Wyoming to two people and end up leaving that night because it's so awful. Um, and just the internal struggles, struggles with the band. You know, I was 18. The closest person uh, to my age in the band at that time was 26, and the next was 32. So... You know, we didn't necessarily get along very well. Right, right. Well, it you definitely have a, a good work ethic, and e- even though you're kind of all the time between jobs, which I think is is pretty common in the restaurant industry. I never really worked in restaurants, but my siblings did, and so I would always hear their stories. Um, I kind of gravitated in like you know um, the office setting, and, and they were all in the restaurant. But I would hear their stories, and and some of this stuff that goes out in restaurants, you can't even make that stuff up. I mean, it's just, it's it's a whole nother world. And a lot of the things that you were saying, they had told me in their restaurant experiences as well. And restaurant is kind of rock and roll without this, without the musician and the drummer and the, and the guitarist. It's its own musical thing going on, but with a lot of the same element and vibe going through so I, I i can see how those two kind of things would almost fit together yeah i mean it, it's it's a very fast-paced lifestyle i mean it's long hours uh i think a minimum shift is 12 hours you have a regular eight-hour day and you feel like you don't even really work um you're with the same people in a very close proximity for that entire time uh not only do you work with them but you hang out with them you uh sleep with them you drink with them and uh and and that leads to a i don't know a, a little bit of a internal conflict as well i mean and i you know a, a lot of cooks don't really stay anywhere for longer than a year they jump around a lot because you spend a year somewhere and you pretty much absorb, absorb everything you can learn from that place and then until you get up to the management uh level in a place you don't really see many people sticking around very long mhm and that you seem to learn something everywhere you went, even if you were just maybe just at a bar and grill for a month or two, you always seem to find something there that you could take with you. And and at a young age, you, you're really young. You're real young now, um, but you were really young when all of this was happening to you. You at least had, and there was a lot of chaos. When, when, when you say chaos to control, you, you aren't kidding. This is as chaotic as a lifestyle that you could live and survive um, as one could even imagine. But you still were smart, and and Brendan is a very smart guy, and and we go through, and he goes through that in the book as well. I mean, he's he's no dummy by any stretch of the imagination. Um, you always learn something. You had enough street smarts, you had enough real smarts, you had enough survival instinct in you to always pick something up, and and maybe it wasn't apparent to you at that time, but it was it, it was one mortal tool in your tool belt that was propelling you forward to where you are today. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that I mean the whole picking things up anywhere you go, I mean, that you kind of have to do that with anything in life or it just makes it not worthwhile. And and you, you got to kind of find something that you can 
grasp on or, or or it's just it's just pointless and i mean if you if you think that you can't learn something from someone else then you you really shouldn't be working with them well i'll all through this time you were also dealing with a drug addiction alcohol as well but also drugs and so that was kind of what was stopping you from maybe, but see, the, the whole thing is you were you were kind of young. You're in New York City. You're in uh, Savannah. You're in big cities as a young kid trying to find your way. And then the drugs are very easy to come across and very easy to find and prevalent in the restaurant industry. And so all of this is going on. So this huge. I just want people to kind of get this mental picture of this young kid. You know, we told you where he came from. He also was on the road with a, a band and. Uh, so there's drugs and then just trying to make it and trying to find your way and, and, and through that fog and haze of drug addiction, but still moving forward. It's absolutely fascinating that you survived for one thing and then, um, that, that you've been a successful, you know, and, and, um, and overcame this. Uh, I mean, yeah, I think the, the the whole drug part of the book, I mean, it's definitely an underlying tone and a uh, constant tone throughout the entire uh, piece. But, uh, I mean, yeah, I, I am surprised that I, I did make it out of uh, a lot of those certain addictions. I, I, I To this day, I don't claim to be sober by any means. Uh, it's a constant day-to-day thing that I go through still. But uh, I... I don't know, you know, the D.C. chapters, the early New York chapters definitely paint a very vivid picture of what it's like to be a drug addict in the industry in those two cities. Well, and especially in, in New York, um, and because, you know, it was so easy to, to get drugs not only in the restaurant industry, but, you know, you were saying that um, in New York you can get anything with a phone call and you could even order up drugs and they would be, you know, delivered to you and... Um, when it's that prevalent all the time, you know, a lot of people don't make it out of those situations. But, you know, um, there, there's there's people who, who, who do just like you, and there's so many people. We've all been affected. A lot of people have family members or themselves or who've battled with, with addictions, and so I think that they can really relate to this story. Um, and a lot of people come out of it, and a lot of people don't. But there is hope for if, if someone knows someone who's struggling with, with addiction right now, there there definitely is hope, and you always have to cling on to a lot of that, um, to that hope and, and try to keep moving forward. And you had enough of that survival instinct in you to keep going. Yeah, I mean, if I, if I uh, didn't get out of it when I did and if I kept going the same route that I did uh, or was, I uh, definitely wouldn't be having this uh, conversation today. Right. <laughs> so you do you do have to hope for it. I mean, I know a lot of people that have, uh, you know, I mean, you, you meet people in the program and just outside of it and things like that uh, that have had much harder uh, lives than myself. Um, you know, to make my, my life look like a cakewalk. But uh, <laughs> and, and they, you know, uh, and then you see them and they have, you know, 10 to 25 years of sobriety that they're about. And that's, you know, I think that's a good uh, role model to have. I mean, there's a lot of those people out there. Um, and if, if you know, they can do it, pretty much anyone can, I think. I mean, mm-hmm. it might not be one program or one prescription for the masses, for everyone, but there's definitely numerous things out there to get help. Well, yeah, I, I think you're right about it. 
everyone has to find their own way, and what works for one person may not work for another. Um, but but you have to find which avenue that is for you. Um, the reason that this book really initially caught my attention is because you're not much older than my own son. And he, I mean, this really could have been his story, except for he doesn't, he's not a cook and he does not a chef. But he struggled with addiction for many, many years. And he's also a guy who lands on his feet every time. I, I mean, I can't even tell you. I, I felt like he had nine lives. And he also has a great personality. He's just a, a person people want to be around and you're rooting for, just like we're rooting for you. That Your personality, it comes through in the book. We want you to to succeed. You know, you, you kind of keep landing on your feet. You, you are a can-do guy. And and so it really kind of hit home. And, and my son had been, he's been to rehab three times. And uh, the last time, um, when he was going to get sober, he's like, I don't need to go to rehab. I already, I've been there, done that. I already, I know what I have to do. And he just went off on his own about three years ago, moved to Portland and, and got a job and got sober and he's been sober since. But, um, but I, I, I could see a lot of that characteristic in you as well. And a lot of the stories that he would tell me when he was sober about things that had happened to him in the drug world, you share those things. And they're very interesting for us who, who don't live in that, in, in that realm at all. But um, to, to, to be able to walk through that, and especially if you have somebody who's been in an addictive situation, you kind of get a glimpse into that world without having to physically and in reality go into that world, um, which nobody wants to go into that world, I just want to say. But, Definitely not, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, 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 but it's interesting to, to, to see what people have gone through having been in, in that world. So if, if you have someone or you have a son or a daughter who's, you know, ha- have um, struggle with addiction, this book of Brandon's really gives you a, a, a good insight as to kind of how that lifestyle is and that you can kind of, you, you can come out of that. And, and there is hope. And there was, you know, Brandon's done a fantastic job and, and, and my son's been sober now for, for, for three years, but it's, it's a journey. Life just keeps un- unfolding. I want to ask you some questions though about that, that I learned in your book about, um, about a chef's life that I just didn't know. And um, I want to talk to you about staging. And if you could kind of tell everyone about staging, because I really didn't understand that that you guys, I, I guess I didn't even think about how chefs interview for jobs. And I, I, I found <laughs> staging to be pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's a crazy thing. Uh, people in the industry call it staging because of the French term stagiaire, okay. uh, which basically just means you go and you work for free until you're hired. Um, that could be a day. It could be two days. It could be a season. You know, it all depends on the place. Um, you basically, you know, when, when you're looking for a job as a cook or a chef, you you go, you send in your resume to whoever, you get a call back, you usually get a very brief interview. The interview process isn't really outside of the kitchen. You know, they'll talk to you for maybe five minutes and then they'll schedule a date. Usually it's the very following day. And you go in with your knives and an apron and you suit up and you work 12 hours. 
And if they like you, they'll hire you, or sometimes they'll ask you to keep coming back to get to know you a little bit better. And it, it can take a very long time sometimes. I know people that are, uh, you know, places like Mugaritz, uh in Spain, and El Bulli when it was opened, and, and Alinea on the French Laundry, and, and these really, really big-name restaurants. You have to go and you work there for three months to a year without getting paid usually if you don't have, you know, a serious resume behind you. Um, and, and that is in turn, you know, something that I, I try to tell a lot of cooks, a lot, a lot of cooks as uh, parents too as well as, you know, you, uh, in my opinion, you should take all your school money and put it towards an apartment and living expenses for a year or two and go work somewhere and, and go apprentice and go stage because you get a lot more experience that way. Um, and it's really the best way to get your foot in the door and uh, a lot of these uh, Michelin-starred restaurants. Wow, geez, that was so interesting. I never even had a clue on how any of that worked, but you had were having to go through that each time, basically, when you were um, getting a new job, which was often. So I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. And I wanted to ask you, I'm like, is he not getting paid during this time? And you actually, yeah, you're, you're working and making food in a functioning open restaurant. Yeah, that they're possibly pulling in twenty grand a night, <laughs> and you're not getting a penny. You get you get a staff meal uh, and work to death. But I mean, that's the name of the game for this industry. And I mean, you have to really want to do it. You you have to really want to be a cook. To be a cook, it's it's not something that can be a hobby. It's not something that you can kind of be interested in. And I think that's kind of where like all these TV competition shows came out of was a whole staging concept because it is basically a competition when you go in there you know you're you've got two to three stages at some places sometimes they take six at a time and they'll only pick one person to get the job and you'll be working beside them so it's uh it's easy to see the uh modern day tv uh perception of chefs and what it's like to be a chef life uh pretty much through the eyes of the stage i mean i think that's the closest thing to it wow yeah it's very very interesting and i I'm so glad that you kind of put some light on that because I have a whole new appreciation now because I, I just hadn't had didn't even have a clue. And also, it, it was very um, interesting to me that y- you were real nomadic, but chefs have their own knives, and you carry those around. And, I mean, you, you there was a lot of times that you lost a lot of your possessions, but you always hung on to your knives. And I guess I just assume when you walk into a restaurant, they just give you knives, but but it seems to be pretty common that, that you that these are tools in your tool belt or a gun in your holster type of thing that, that the chef travels with his knives. Is that is that how it works? Absolutely. I mean, if you don't if you don't have knives, you don't have a job. Wow. <laughs> uh, I mean, it you know it, it it depends on the restaurant. You know, we're I'm, we're not talking about your like uh, I, I red lobster or like olive garden or anything <laughs> like that. Yeah, you know they they have house knives, blah blah. blah. But you know. Uh, Good restaurants, they're, they're, you know, it, it's one of the things where I think you can tell a cook by how he keeps his knives, how sharp his knives are, if he puts them away clean every night. Uh, it's another um, judging factor, I think, especially when uh, looking to hire someone. You know, I know personally if I bring a cook in and his knives aren't sharp, if his apron doesn't stay clean, if his uh, shoes are all messed up, his chef clothes are all messed up, I won't hire them usually. I mean, I'll hire someone with a sharp knife clean uniform and uh, no dirt under your fingernails before I hire a Culinary Institute of America grad. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, see, that's, 
that, that was just really um, fascinating to me. I'm like, wow. And and you always made sure, yeah, that, that you had your knives. You always you were maybe walking around New York City, your duffel bag, but you still had your knives with you. Absolutely. I have them with me uh, now in L.A., and I'm not even cooking because <laughs> I don't like leaving them anywhere. <laughs> and I'm sure they're not cheap. No. they. I mean, there's a vast range of prices, but you're you're looking at uh, – Anywhere from sixty to three twenty-five per knife. Wow! Wow! Yeah, Crazy. and then uh, yeah, and you usually have to have a lot. You know, there's there's different knives for different tools, and it's not just that. You know, it's like tools as well, tweezers and spoons and graters and peelers and things like that. It's not just knives that uh cook their around. It's everything you need to work in the kitchen, minus pots and pans and food. You better have your own. And why do chefs wear clogs? Uh, it's a thing for posture. You know, they're they're healed. So where they might not necessarily make your feet feel the best throughout a shift, they will definitely save your back. Mm, okay. See, my only experience with chefs and clogs was seeing Mario Batali with his orange Crocs. And I just thought that, oh, my God, well, that must just be his thing. But in your book, it's there's a lot of mention about clogs. I'm like, wait a second. There's something to this clog thing. Yeah, I mean, you got, you got to wear them in the kitchen. One, they don't slip on wet floors, and there are a lot of wet floors. Uh, they're durable. You know, uh, the ones that I wear last for about three years usually. Um, they help your posture, they help your back, and once you break them in, they're just the best shoe to wear. I think I, I wear them outside of the kitchen as well. Uh, Crocs are a little different. <laughs> I don't ever really see the purpose of Crocs in the kitchen, mostly because there's holes in them and there are a lot of hot things that are getting swung around. So um, the clogs I'm thinking about are usually the wood-heeled, uh, closed-toed uh, with the backs on them. Right. Right. Well, tell us where you are today because you the, the the book takes you really through Brandon's past and and let me tell you you are really living it with him because it's so descriptive and you just feel like you're right there with him. Um, but but he comes out of it and made a huge name for himself. He's absolutely you know he he did leave rock and roll but he's still a rock star completely in the food industry. So why don't you tell everybody where you're at today, Brandon? Because it's absolutely amazing. Uh, the book closes out in Pittsburgh about three months ago. Um, so since then, I have uh, obtained a restaurant uh, about 45 miles outside of Chicago in Michigan City, Indiana. Uh, it's an old farmhouse from 1869, um, and we're totally gutting it, renovating it. We've uh, tilled all the soil um, we're going to be growing all of our own uh, produce, raising all of our own animals. We uh, actually just got goats delivered today. Pigs are coming in a couple of days. Um, and we're opening up a 14-seat, uh, 10 in the dining room, four seats in the kitchen uh, restaurant. That's going to be open four days a week. Uh, we're going to open up March of next year for the spring season. And um, that's pretty much what I've been doing Uh Outside of that, I've just been traveling around, uh, continuing doing my uh, Crux pop-up dinners. I leave L.A. tomorrow um, to go to San Francisco to do a four-dinner series with another underground uh, restaurant group called Lazy Bear. Um, And then I have a couple more dinners to do, one in Philly, one in New York, one in Jersey, and a few more in Chicago. But then I'm pretty much selling down, and uh, I'll be in Michigan City, Indiana at my restaurant, uh, TMIP, 
for hopefully the rest of my life. Well, that is absolutely wonderful. And I, I just really want to encourage everybody. I, I can't say this enough. I, I don't bring people on the show that I'm not rooting for. Um, and I'm so rooting for you, Brandon, because you're just, a, I think, just a, a good addition to the human spirit and, and population and race. And we want you to do good. And I'm on your side. And uh, it's just an absolutely entertaining, wonderful Story. And like I said, it's real gritty and it's raw and Brendan just tells you like it is. He doesn't sugarcoat anything. And that's what makes the book fun. Um, it's just, it's not all hearts and flowers, but it's 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 truth. And that really comes through loud and clear. I, I appreciate that. It's, it's definitely not hearts and flowers. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's definitely not hearts and flowers. But, but even with that said, I mean, you're just pulling for you through the whole time in the book. So I wanted to get everybody up to speed that, that you are doing really, and you know, and, and you know in the book that you're going to land on your feet because you're just that kind of guy. You're, you're, you're just uh, all, taking you all the way back to um, Jacksonville, Florida, and nine years old, and, and, uh, cutting the corn off the corn on your cob uh, in your mom's restaurant, just, uh, you know, you've, you've come a long way, but you could see the building blocks right there, and you're thinking, you know, this this guy's going to be okay. So it, it was fun to go on the journey with you, and I certainly appreciate uh, you sharing that journey because it's so fascinating. Thank you. All right, and I want to tell everyone that they can go to, you, you have a website, which is Brandon Balti. B-R-A-N-D-O-N, just like Brandon, and B-A-L-T-Z-L-E-Y.com is your um, website, and they can keep up with you there. And then we have a link to that on our website as well at seattlewaveradio.net. And you can uh, keep up with Brandon and buy his book. I'll tell you, just reading the book makes you a badass. You don't have to be a real badass, but, boy, just reading the book makes you feel like one. So thanks, Brandon, for coming on. Thanks for having me. All right. Best of luck. All right. Have a great day. You too. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. So um, Brandon's book is published by Gotham Books. It's a a division of Pink. um, So it is a major book uh, publishing house that has published his book. And I will tell you, this is just an amazing journey uh, to go on. It's it's fast-paced book. It's it's raw, it's gritty, but it's really funny. I mean, I, I was just laughing out loud at this book um, page after page. And like I said, I didn't think that he intended it to be that way, but it's just his personality. And he's just one of those people who can say things. And I might not get away with saying it like that, or you might not get away with saying it like that. But his personality, and we all kind of, you know, secretly respect those people who can who can speak their mind and get away with it. Because if I try to speak my mind, everybody gets upset. But with him... He speaks his mind, and and people are like, okay, you know, he, he's one of those people who can get away with it. So anyway, we're going to go out today with another gritty song uh, that is by Graves 33. And Graves 33, I want to tell you, he's an up-and-coming hip-hop artist in the Seattle area. His father is the legendary rocker randy hansen wrote apocalypse now score um so many other things is uh travels with the, the, the biggest names in the world uh playing guitar for all the mega bands he's uh randy hansen's played with everybody well this is his son grace 33 is trying to make his 
own name in hip-hop. And we're going to go out today with In the Street by Graves 33. Desmond Hansen is his um, given name. And, again, we want to thank Brandon Baltley for coming on, one of the top chefs in America, opening his own place in Michigan, and has a fantastic book, Nine Lives, The Chef's Journey from Chaos to Control, a fabulous read. I encourage you to, to get that. Have a great day. just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry 
In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.